Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. And this show is Drogheda 1310. Murder in a Medieval Crisis. In this podcast, we have an absorbing and personalised account from daily life in Ireland in the early 14th century, as the Norman colony was being torn apart by bitter internal divides. This fascinating story is of two ordinary people whose lives were recorded after they got involved in a fracas in a tavern which had far-reaching consequences. On an autumnal Wednesday in early October 1310, the chaplain of the night, Hugh de Lacey, a man called Jordan, set out for the town of Drada, a large walled settlement about 30 miles north of Dublin. As Jordan led his horse along the muddy dirt trackways which qualified for roads in medieval Ireland, he was accompanied by two others. Increasing lawlessness in Ireland ensured few travelled alone where it could be avoided. Woods and thickets along the roadside gave cover to thieves and outlaws. Despite these dangers for travellers like Jordan, the autumn of 1310 was a hopeful period in what were very dark days. The annals of Innisfallen recorded a great crop of nuts and apples that year. This improved harvest was desperately needed, as it would help ease the famine that had starved Ireland since 1308. Despite this good news, there was no way, however, Jordan could have forgotten the reality of life in the early 14th century. It was hard, often dangerous, and it wasn't getting easier. The climate had been changing since the late 13th century, becoming increasingly wet, and famine had become more frequent. This change in climate and the following famines were only one component of a crisis engulfing late medieval Ireland. Indeed, such was the scale of this crisis that the Norman colony in Ireland was in fact in terminal decline. The aspect of the crisis that was most starkly obvious to people like Jordan the chaplain was the ever-increasing warfare across Ireland. 
he would no doubt have frequently seen the scars of this conflict between the Gaelic Irish and the Anglo-Norman colonists in their burned out cottages and houses and ransacked farms. The colonists, people like Jordan, were increasingly unable to defend the lands their ancestors had conquered from the Gaelic Irish in the 12th century. This decline in fortunes had begun about 50 years earlier, back in 1262, when a major Norman army was crushed at the Battle of Callan near Kilgarvan in County Kerry in the remote southwest of Ireland. On that field, the Normans suffered catastrophic losses with several major Norman leaders from the region being killed. This had dramatic consequences. In the following years and decades, the colony in the remoter parts of the southwest collapsed as the Gaelic Irish reconquered what were frontier lands. While no one could have seen it at the time, this was just the beginning of a disastrous trend for the Normans, as slowly but surely the once dispossessed Gaelic Irish reconquered more and more territory. Eight years after the Battle of Callan in 1270, the core of the colony was rocked by another major Gaelic revolt, this time in the Wicklow Mountains. Despite several military campaigns, including one led by the Knights Hospitaller in Dublin, it took 12 years for the Norman authorities to reassert control over a region that was only 20 miles south of Dublin. In the closing years of the 13th century, things continued from bad to worse. As levels of violence ebbed and flowed, significant tracts of frontier lands were becoming increasingly uninhabitable due to Gaelic raids and warfare. No doubt, people like Jordan the Chaplain frequently saw dishevelled refugees, people who had abandoned lands on the frontiers, where life had become almost unbearable. However, while it was raids from the Gaelic Irish that haunted the imagination of Norman colonists, it was their own nobility, men like the knight Hugh de Lacey, who Jordan the Chaplain served, who caused as much, if not more, chaos. These nobles were increasingly becoming a law unto themselves, fighting highly destructive private wars between each other. They also took what they wanted and showed disregard for the rising power of merchants in medieval society. A parliament that met in Kilkenny in February 1310 had heard how merchants and the common part of the people of this land are impoverished and oppressed by the priests of the great lords of the land who take what they will throughout the country. Indeed, so great was this problem that it was causing serious economic hardship. As the Parliament said, the principal causes why all things saleable are often increased in price are because the merchants and others passing through the country are robbed of their goods by those of great lineage. Such thefts and general warfare contributed to making colonial Ireland an economic disaster. Incomes coming into the Exchequer were in freefall. From a height of £9,000 taken in the year 1290-91, it had fallen to £2,500 by the year 1309-1310. Unsurprisingly, this led to increased tensions between the nobility and the merchant-dominated towns. While the crisis led to wars, economic recession and saw parliamentary gatherings of the great and good to resolve these problems, it also impacted the day-to-day -day lives of ordinary people who lived through these times. Indeed, as Jordan the Chaplain, our traveller in 1310, entered Drogheda, he had little idea he was about to become 
one such person. As Jordan the chaplain and his two companions approached Drogheda in 1310, they looked on to what was two towns rather than one. Drogheda had developed as two separate towns on either side of the Boyne River in the early 13th century. They were called Drogheda in Meath on the south bank and Drogheda in Louth on the northern bank. Situated over 30 miles north of Dublin, its newly constructed walls were among the largest in Ireland, enclosing over 100 acres. This was just one illustration of both the increasingly dangerous times that people like Jordan lived in, but also the wealth of Drogheda's merchants, whose taxes had aided the wall's construction. Between the two Drogheda's lay the secret to the town's economic successes, the docks of the River Boyne. Here merchants traded goods far and wide. Indeed, the wealth of Drogheda's merchants, in spite of all the obstacles they faced from the nobility, was obvious throughout the town. Alongside their houses, shops and warehouses, the town also supported four mendicant orders, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Carmelites and the Augustinians. As mendicants, they held vows of poverty and were dependent on the townspeople of Drogheda for sustenance. Drogheda also had four hospitals, where those suffering from diseases such as leprosy, which was all too common during the period, could be treated. Arriving at this busy port town on business, Jordan the chaplain made his way to the house of a man called Robert Le Luminor. Robert's ancestors had presumably once been the illuminators of manuscripts, giving rise to his surname Le Luminor, or the Illuminator. Robert had not followed in his ancestors' footsteps. Instead, he had become a tailor, and as such was known by the name of Robert the Tailor by Manny in Drogheda. On reaching the tailor's house, Jordan the chaplain was met by servants who told him that Robert was not at home, but abroad in Drogheda. Having travelled all the way to the town, Jordan and his two companions were not ready to return home. So, instead, they retired to an inn, run by a prominent member of medieval Drogheda society, a man called Michael of Trim, and there they began to drink wine. When Robert the tailor returned home to find that he had missed out on what he thought was potential business, he went out into the narrow streets of medieval Drogheda to look for Jordan the chaplain. Eventually, he found him still in the tavern of Michael of Trim, and approaching the chaplain, Robert asked him if he wanted clothes made. However, it seems, Jordan the chaplain, by this stage, was heavily inebriated, and he replied rudely, insulting the tailor, saying that he would not get Robert to make his clothes, but instead would get a better tailor than he, if such was the need. Understandably, this conversation quickly became heated between the two men, but before either could draw a weapon, what were described as the worthy men of the town intervened. These worthy men forced both Jordan and his companions and Robert the tailor to their horses and sent them home in opposite directions, hoping this would ease the tension. However, his pride wounded and his bravado fueled by alcohol, Jordan the chaplain refused to let the issue die. But as we shall see next... He had misjudged the tailor. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Back in Drogheda in 1310, resolving that Robert the Tailor needed to be taught a lesson, Jordan the Chaplain sent one of his companions in hot pursuit. Drawing a sword, the man gave chase, but he soon found that the tailor was far from timid. Rather than fleeing on learning of his attacker's approach, Robert the Tailor instead took a large club from a serving man near him and stood his ground. In what became a test of nerves, Jordan the chaplain's companion, despite being armed with a sword, turned heel and fled. Unsurprisingly, the prospect of tackling an irate, club-wielding tailor was not very appealing. The battle was by no means over, however. Next, Jordan the chaplain dispatched his other companion, who also drew his sword and bore down on Robert. But again, the brave and possibly foolhardy tailor would not back down. His daring paid off again, as the second challenger also fled in terror. Now, the tables had turned, and Robert the tailor was the one giving pursuit of his attackers. However, this time he avoided the two armed servants and instead made directly for Jordan the chaplain. With his blood up, the furious tailor brought the club he had down on the back of Jordan the chaplain's neck, ending the fight before it ever really began. Jordan the chaplain slumped and fell from his horse. Robert had killed him. With the lifeless corpse of the knight Hugh de Lacey's chaplain lying in front of him, Robert must have realised the seriousness of the situation he now faced. But before he could make good any escape, the mayor and bailiffs of Drada had swung into action, seized him and locked him up in the town prison. There he would have to wait the arrival of the Justicier, the chief royal official in Ireland, who would hear his case. Whatever the rights and wrongs or provocation that Robert had endured, Murder was a most serious charge, and one that could potentially lead to his execution. As I have mentioned, his case would be heard by the Justiciar, a man called John de Wogan. However, de Wogan, as Justiciar, operated a travelling court which roved around the Norman colony, so Robert would have to wait until it eventually came to Drada. When the murder had been committed, de Wogan was hearing cases in Dublin, after this, he travelled south to Castle Dermot in Kildare, before eventually making his way to Drogheda in January 1311. On the 4th of January, 
1311, Robert the Taylor was hauled before de Wogan's court and unsurprisingly he was convicted. He was sentenced a few months later and his punishment of a fine was to say the least somewhat lenient. This was because Robert had agreed to travel to Scotland and fight in the King's army at war there. This was not that unusual, despite the increasing lawlessness and violence in Ireland. The Justiciar often minimised sentences and indeed offered pardons in return for pledges to fight for the King. After Robert's conviction, one might assume that this case would have faded from history. But at his case in Drada in 1311, several others were implicated. When bizarre details emerged of how Robert had been treated by the people of Drada. Now as a murderer, we might expect him to have received little sympathy. But the opposite was actually the case. While John de Wogan had travelled around the colony hearing other cases, Robert hadn't been languishing in a cell as he was supposed to. Indeed, shortly after he had been locked up, those same men who had arrested him, the mayor and bailiffs of Drada, released him. And his life seems to have returned pretty much to normal, momentarily at least. By allowing him to return to his home, the people of Drada appear to have been showing solidarity with Robert, despite the fact he had committed a murder. This was something they would pay a price for. Under medieval law, they were harbouring a murderer in Robert by allowing him to live in the town unmolested while he awaited trial, when he should have been in prison. When news arrived that John de Wogan was on his way to hear Robert's case, he was returned to prison. But unsurprisingly, it didn't take very long for the justiciar to hear of the solidarity and leniency Robert had been shown. The town had a population of several thousand people in the early 14th century and keeping such a secret was nigh on impossible. If the information was not told directly to the justiciar John de Wogan, one of his retinue presumably overheard the story in a tavern because not long after he arrived he knew the full story about what had happened. Furious at this flagrant breach of the law, de Wogan fined the townspeople of Drada £20. But we are left wondering why the people of Drada stood by Robert despite his guilt and presumably knowing that they would pay a price. As we shall see next, in this case, context is everything and there is strong evidence to suggest that the treatment of Robert was due to the long festering wounds in Norman society between towns and the nobility. When I read this case, I was perplexed as to why the people of Drada had stood in solidarity with a man clearly guilty of murder. However, on looking at some events surrounding the case, there was a lot going on in Drada that might explain why the townspeople acted as they had. Firstly, it's important to note that Jordan the chaplain was a man who served the knight Hugh de Lacey. De Lacey was descended from what had once been one of the most powerful Norman families, but their star had fallen somewhat by the early 14th century. Nonetheless, he was still the brother of the Lord of Rathwire, Walter de Lacey, and was listed on a payroll of nobles who had fought in Scotland for the king. He also served as the king's keeper of Athlone Castle. Jordan's association with the de Lacey family clearly identified him with the nobility. Now, as I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, tensions 
had been running high between the merchant-dominated towns and the nobility for some years in 1310. While such tensions did not exist everywhere and ebbed and flowed given local circumstances, they had already led to severe violence in Drada in the early 14th century. Only five years previous to this case, in 1305, the prominent noble, the Lord of Tethmoy, Piers de Birmingham, had approached Drogheda with an army as he travelled to Scotland to fight for the king. The people of Drogheda had prevented de Birmingham and his soldiers entering the town, and it's easy to see why. The Parliament that had met in Kilkenny in February 1310 had noted how the aristocracy were taking supplies without making what was called reasonable payment. So when the soldiers tried to force their way into the town, a riot ensued and three of the Birmingham's men were killed and his wife Els miscarried their child. In the following days, several more soldiers were savagely beaten and imprisoned by the townspeople. Now an incident like this would not be easily forgotten in the town. Social conflicts like this one between the merchant-dominated towns and the nobility have not been given the study that they need in medieval Irish history. But I think, in this case, it does go a long way to explain why Drogheda's authorities and a significant section of the population might have had a pretty relaxed attitude to a man like Robert the Taylor, who had killed Jordan, someone heavily associated with a prominent noble family, and who had been acting aggressively. If this is the case, it is just one example of how increasing tensions in 14th century Ireland were impacting on daily life in the Norman colony in Ireland. Indeed, this experience was not unique to Drogheda. In 1304, several soldiers, again on their way to Scotland, had been attacked in the Coombe, an area outside of Dublin, by several prominent citizens of the city. And by 1317... Parliaments could no longer be held within the walls of Dublin out of fear of violence between medieval Dubliners and the noble attendees. Such tensions, along with increased warfare with the Gaelic Irish, would rumble on and contribute to the near collapse of the Norman colony by the 1370s. Indeed, they also helped to undermine the entire structure of medieval society. But that is another podcast entirely. So that's where I'm going to leave it today, folks. But if you want to read more about this and other similar stories, don't forget to get a copy of my book, Witches, Spies and Stockholm Syndrome, Life in Medieval Ireland. If you want your personally signed copy, you can also contact me at history at irishhistorypodcast.ie. Until next time, Sloan. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.